BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Ish. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to Right Nowish. I'm Pendarvis Harshaw. Thanks for joining us. We've got something unique cracking around here. Let me pull up a chair and tell you all about it. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to people who are from the Bay Area, but are currently living outside of the United States, carrying with them the slang, the style, the spirit of our shared soil while navigating foreign terrain. These conversations are with artists, educators, and authors. They're folks who I know from different walks of life. Some of them are friends of friends. Others are real deal day ones. All of them are people who I call my pals. And since my name is Penn, we're just going to go ahead and call this series Penn's Pals. The idea honestly started off as a dad joke, you know, a quick pun. But after reaching out to a handful of folks, I quickly realized that this was an opportunity to localize some major global issues. We start in Mexico, where a homie I've known for a decade plus is working as a photographer, healing spiritually and simultaneously watching gentrification similar to what he saw in the Bay take form in Mexico's capital city. I don't recall exactly when or where I met Christopher Nekadom, but we're both brought up in East Bay creative circles and I have photos of him at parties and at biking events from around 2012. I've broken bread with him in Brooklyn and I've bumped into him randomly on the streets of the Bay. After a few years of only seeing each other through social media posts, it was good to hop on a video call and get some understanding as to what life is like for him in Mexico City and what it means to start anew. That convo after this. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. 
special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. I've seen you in many iterations. I've seen you, you know, do photo exhibitions in downtown Oakland. I've seen you in Brooklyn. But now, now where are you located? So now I'm, I'm in Mexico City. I finally decided to move down here to Mexico. And being a dual citizen, knowing the language, uh, it just really felt like I was returning to the motherland. And within Mexico City, I live in a small colonia called San Miguel Chapultepec. Um, which is a very residential area, but I have my apartment and my studio here. What does your neighborhood sound like? Early in the morning is my favorite because you can hear birds. And then I hear one of my favorite sounds. I don't know why it's so calming is the the people sweeping in front of their homes. They come out with their big witch-like brooms and they're just sweeping the front of their shop or sweeping their driveway. So like that's that's what I know I hear is is like sweeping and birds. And Mexico's very unique because we have specific sounds for different services. So out here a lot of people still use propane gas and they need tanks. They have tanks that either need to be replaced, swapped out or refilled. So there's gas people they drive down the street slowly and they yell. They have this like yell that they do that's just like ah! and so when you hear that noise you know it's the gas people and then you have this truck that rolls around where it's people that are looking to buy old things from you And it's basically saying, like, if you have any old mattresses, any old stoves or fridge or anything made out of metal that we can buy. So it's like all these unique sounds that depending on the sound, you know what it is. And that's something I've never experienced. Like the closest thing I could think of was just growing up the ice cream truck. You know, when you heard that, you knew the ice cream truck was coming. But but here it's like multiple things that that do in that same vein. Wow, straight sound code. Yeah. That's tight, man. What about you? For On your day-to-day, what, is, what does it look like for you? Most of my days I come here to the studio because I'm just not a work-from-home kind of guy. You know, I'm a freelancer, a contractor. Uh, I'm juggling working with a creative agency there in, in Oakland, uh, Stay Div. Um, I also am starting my own brand of hibiscus tea called Rojo. And then I'm also operating as a freelance production company under my company, CN Creative. And so I'm here at the studio, uh, which triples as my office, darkroom and and workspace. And then head back home later. Me and my my partner, we cook a lot. So we're just at the house. We're pretty low key these days. I think the pandemic definitely shifted that. Uh, When I first got here five years ago, I was definitely much more out and about you know, networking a lot more at all the art events and all that. And I still make time for that, but I'm, I'm definitely transitioning to a, an era of my life where I'm, I'm much more 
self-centered, but rightfully so, you know? So you grew up in the Bay Area, in Richmond, and moved around a lot as a young adult. What ultimately caused you to leave the Bay and move to Mexico? Towards the end of 2016, I had a trip planned to come to Mexico City for the first time because I had spent my whole life going to where my family's from in Michoacan. The plan was to come here and visit and get to know Mexico City and then go stay with my family for the holidays. And around that time, um, I was having one of the best years of my career, had my first solo exhibition, some really great commercial jobs. And at the time in December, I was working as a still photographer on my first feature film, and it was amazing. And then during that, uh, in the beginning of December, um, I was involved in the ghost ship fire incident in Oakland. A friend of mine who was working on the feature film I was on, um, he lived there actually, and he invited me to the party there that night. The Ghost Ship Warehouse was an underground arts collective and converted living space in East Oakland's Fruitvale District. During an electronic music show at the venue on December 2nd, 2016, a fire broke out and quickly spread, ultimately claiming the lives of 36 people. Honestly, one of the only reasons I think I survived was because I was downstairs. Um, the actual venue in Ghost Ship was upstairs. I made it out very fortunately with, with literally seconds to spare. And um, that affected me very deeply. And, and I was not able to finish the feature film. And so what I ended up de doing was pushing up the date of my trip to Mexico City. And incidentally, I ended up staying in Mexico for a total of three months. So it was supposed to be three weeks turned into three months. While I was here, I felt some healing and some connection. And it made me realize this is my roots. I, I want to get in touch with my roots and the motherland. I want to be closer to my family in Michoacan. So when I finally went home after those three months, I just like, you know, whatever it takes to kind of close things out here in America so I can make this move. And it took me about a year, but I, I, I did it. I've, for better or worse, have, have been through a lot since I was a kid. Um, you know, themes of, of death, losing friends. You know, I lost my best friend at 21 uh, to murder. A lot's happened. And I think that it turned into a culmination of all the past trauma before the fire. It was like a really big breaking point for me because I feel like I was really strong and resilient up until that point when it came to loss and death and other traumatic things that had happened to me. You know, I, growing up in Richmond, it's like the first time I got held up at gunpoint, I was 12. And, and I think the fire just like opened the floodgates. And it also forced me to finally get in touch with my own vulnerability and really like address that trauma. And I'm still working on it, but living here has definitely helped for sure. Over the five years that Chris has been in Mexico City, he says that he's really developed a sense of community and he's created a much more balanced life. At the same time, in loving the city, he's also deeply aware of its issues, 
like gentrification. Just in these past five years that I've lived here, I've seen some dramatic changes. Gentrification, in a way, is inevitable when it comes to big metropolitan cities. And it happens in cycles. We're in this part of the cycle of any metropolitan area where we're on an uptick right now. Um, and it has been happening um, amongst Mexicans themselves, especially with this newer generation of Mexicans who get college education. They're working here in Mexico City at ad agencies, architecture firms, and they're making wages that their family had never seen before. So now you mix that in with foreigners coming down, people that have more buying power uh, because of the strength of the dollar, it's creating kind of a hyper gentrification. Growing up in the Bay Area, I have a lot of trauma around the tech boom and its gentrification. And then those same people are the people that are moving here, especially with digital nomad work. You can work remotely and make 100,000 a year or more and live wherever you want. I feel like a lot of these people got greedy. They were making money in SF, but SF got so gentrified and expensive that even making their 150K, 200K a year, they still ain't got nothing left at the end of the month. And so let's go somewhere where that money really stretches out, but they're just continuing the cycle in a new environment. And, and that's what kind of makes me sad, the, the obliviousness of it all. You know, for a long time, when people would come down here, I would hear a lot like, it's so cheap down here. And, and that's one of the most disrespectful things you can say out in public. There's Mexicans standing around you, hearing you say how cheap it is when this is the most expensive place to dwell in, in all of Mexico. The cost of living here is much higher than, say, where my family's from. It's such a double standard. Americans can just fly down here and get a six-month tourist visa just entering the country. But for a Mexican to go to America, it's a huge process, an expensive process, just to get a tourist visa. And a lot of people end up getting denied, and they lose the money they spent to try and get that visa. What's even worse is the people that come down here and want to live down here, they, they end up just living here on a tourist visa, which is technically illegal. And they don't care because they don't have to work here. They can do their remote job, be here on a tourist visa for free and take advantage of the lower cost of living. And, and that's just like, to me, the wrong approach. Point of clarification, the opposite of a tourist visa or the right way to do it is in your mind. There's multiple types of visa. Um, there's a visa for actually working here. There is a type of visa where you can basically reside here, but not work here. So it's the type of visa that lets you live here while working a remote job. And with that visa, you can legally have your name on a lease. One thing I tell people when you're moving down here that you should be doing just out of respect is looking into a visa. Second, never talk about how cheap Mexico City is. And third, learn Spanish. <laughs> you're, you're in Mexico. You mentioned to me before that there's like whole communities of expats. Have you noticed any like signs or menus in English or things that cater to folks from the United States? 
I've, I've met people that have lived here multiple years and still only have a very basic understanding of Spanish because they can get by without it. And this is honestly, I, out of every other country I've been to, I've never seen so much English being spoken just in general. You go to France, like no French person is about to just talk to you in English unless they have to. And here it's like, they train their waiters at restaurants to speak English. And they will, they will prioritize hiring people that speak English fluently to be able to talk to the clients in English. And that to me just, it's disrespectful. Okay, it's one thing if you're a tourist and you got a little book and you just learn how to say bathroom and like, excuse me, like, okay, you're just trying to get by. But if you want to live here, if you want to dwell and integrate and interact with actual local Mexicans, you need to learn Spanish. And I feel like Americans have this tendency to just take up space wherever they go. And I'm complicit in that. I've, I've come from that culture and it honestly took me living here and traveling all over the world to realize these things objectively about my own upbringing and my own you know, home country's culture. I just want to live here and be amongst my people and have a positive impact on the community and add to the creative scene that has already been blossoming here. It, that, that dilemma, that dichotomy even, like folks who are down there um, and are bringing American culture versus folks who are native to the land, like, do you ever feel like you don't belong at either table? Oh, totally. I mean, when I first got down here, within a couple weeks, I met the owner of a production company who is now one of my best friends down here. And he got me on set within the first month I lived here. I was working on sets, big high level commercial sets where the crew is, you know, 30, 40 people deep. They're all local Mexican the gaffer, the, the lighting techs, like the, the grips, like everyone's mixing, the catering. And I'm over here working in the capacity of a production manager, assistant director or producer. They were all really nice, but, but you could feel that even though I am a Mexican citizen and, and I'm dual citizen, I'm still a gringo, you know? And they actually used to call me the gringo mexicano. Like he's the, he's, he's a Mexican, but from Gringolandia. You know, and so I'm never going to be able to escape that. But on the other side of that coin, I guess when I'm interacting with other Americans down here, because we don't share the same perspective, especially on a lot of these social and economical issues, um, I tend to not like hanging out with them, you know, because it's just they're not aware. And, and maybe that's just me being a little bit hard on them or, or having like a certain expectation that I shouldn't have. So yeah, it's kind of a weird, weird place to be as a Mexican American in Mexico. Caught in between. Do you miss home? I miss two things about home. I miss the access to nature and I miss my people, my friends and my, my family. Um, do I miss like the culture back home in the Bay and like, certain things, um, not necessarily. When I'm home, um, I prioritize my family. My parents are getting older. 
Uh, and then when I can, I try to tap in with all my friends. And, you know, when I'm home, I'm trying to go to Tahoe and get some snowboarding in because <laughs> we ain't got no mountains up here with with snow resorts. So, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get in the redwoods. I'm trying to go see Muir Woods. Like I'm trying to hike, you know. Are you ever coming back? Oh, man, that's a big question. The ultimate goal is to be there half the year, half the year here especially as my parents get older and my partner's parents get older. I know we're going to have to be there for them a little bit more. So I, I don't know if we'll ever go back full time, um, but the plan is to gradually move towards being there, being back home a lot more throughout the year. If there were one thing that you would write home about from your time in Mexico, what would it be? When you say write home about, I'm thinking about what would I write my mom like writing a letter to my mom, like this is how it's been for me. And I think she would be really proud of me just telling her that this place has definitely helped me heal, has inspired me creatively. Cause I know when I was planning to move down here, my mom was, even though she, that's my mom's Mexican, like she, she's from Michoacan. Um, she, she grew up down here, but she's made her life in the U.S. She was definitely a little bit sad to see me go far away again, especially after being in New York for four years. Me leaving again was, was hard on my mom at first. But I remember when I was doing it, I was like, mom, I need to do this. I need to do this for myself. And I'm really glad I made that decision as hard as it was. Um, and now moving here, I've created a whole community here and we just got to keep it going. Christopher Neckadome, a.k.a. Chris Neck. Hey, it was a pleasure to catch up with you, to learn more about your life, to get a sense of what your experience in Mexico has been like. I got to come visit. I've been saying it, but I really mean it, man. Soon come. In the meantime, thank you. Thanks for sharing a bit of your story and congrats on your progress and healing. Good luck on that journey, my friend. If you all are interested in Chris's work, check out his Instagram at Chris Neck. That's spelled Chris, C-H-R-I-S underscore Neck, N-E-C. And his website is currently under construction, but he can be found there too. That's Christopher Neckadome. Neckadome spelled N-E-C-H-O-D-O-M dot com. This episode was produced by Marisol Medina Cadena. Chris Hambrick is our editor. Seal Muller is our engineer. Rice Stottenborough is our engagement intern. Cesar Saldana and Rhea Gerwal are the engagement leads. And the KQED execs that make this all possible are Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Jen Chin, and Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Once again, this is the first episode in our Pins Pals series. Thank you all for taking this trip with us. More to come. Peace. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Funding for Right Nowish comes from Akinati Foundation supporting the development of powerful social change movements to eliminate structural racism. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. 
I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 